Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. It's been a uh, great weekend already. We kind of kicked off Father's Day weekend. We had a men's breakfast uh, yesterday. Great time together. And so uh, we had such a good time. We're like, hey, let's get one soon. So we'll be planning another men's breakfast soon. Uh, And then also, it looks like the retreat center open. And so we're going to have a men's retreat. We're shooting for October. You'll get more information on that. Uh, And that's always a blast. And we partner with the church that we help support in OB, Mark Porter's church. And so uh, Regeneration Church. Um, And so uh, we're going to partner with those guys. And they are a blast. Anybody from OB, lots of character, lots of fun. And so um, that'll be a a men's retreat. Hopefully it'll happen this fall. So looking forward to that. Um, Summer, a ton is going on. It's great to see just the different ministry going on. I know um, uh, Aiden, who uh, plays on the, the beatbox here, the djembe, uh, just got back from, um, you're at camp, Young Life Camp. So he's serving. My son's taking off soon. We got uh, a bunch of people already there. We prayed for Bethany a while ago. She's there all summer. So just be praying. Uh, we got a lot of ministry stuff going on. And so praying for those that are, that are leaving, doing that. David, did you already go? Or are you going... You already went to camp too. So we got just different people out and about serving. And so um, a lot of cool things going on. We'll have sharing at the at the end of summer about kind of what God's done, but just, just cool things happening. Uh, before we jump into today, um, we have a lot of sign-up stuff that's kind of important. Ladies, you have something coming on this Friday night. Painting, learning to paint. By the way, if you don't like painting, it's not even about the painting. It's about hanging out. And uh, having fun. It's a great, we're trying to create events too where we can invite people that maybe are disconnected from a church or God. It's a great kind of segue. And so you got that this Friday. All the information's on your app or on the website, uh, but we need you to sign up. And so um, we can't be doing the last minute thing. So by Wednesday, we have to give them numbers. Uh, we have to make payments and things like that, make sure everything's good. So if you could sign up today, if you know you're doing it, like don't wait, get it going, or make sure that happens before Wednesday. That'll help us out to make sure that we plan what we can't do the last minute signups for that. So just a heads up on that. Also, we're uh, heading to Mexico, going to be visiting uh, an orphanage in Tijuana this next Saturday. And uh, I believe we might only have one spot open. So that might almost be full. I know a few people are on the fence, but basically uh, by tomorrow, I have to cut it off because I have to send those names in uh, with the other church that we're partnering with that's going with us. So if you could sign up today. Uh, and just so you know, if you do sign up and I get like three or four people that, uh, signed up, you all won't be able to go. So I might have to just prioritize as far as who I like more and they'll go. And then if I don't like you, you won't go. So that was a joke, man. Jeez. You guys are a little salty. You guys are a little salty today. Now I really am going to do it that way. Forget you guys. Um, so we have one spot open for the Tijuana, um, uh, orphanage outreach. That's all day next Saturday. So Again, signups are really important. Get going on that. Other thing we got going up, I know it's a lot, but we got a lot going on. It's 4th of July. We're not here. That's in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to be at the Flores house. Jose has the property looking. Are you ready for us to, to come party it up? <laughs> the food's going to be amazing. Jose, yeah. What, what are you doing? Are you, uh, well, now you got the rubs. We gave you the rubs. You're ready to go. We got a couple different kinds of meats that we're going to be. Uh, are you smoking? Are you gr- what are you? You're, oh my God, you're smoking. All right, and it's we're smoking the meat, by the way. That's it. So uh, smoking the meat. Uh, we we're asking you guys to bring sides, 
and desserts and just I didn't want to over-organize. Just start bringing random sides, potato, whatever goes with meat and stuff like that. You want to bring desserts. Uh, we're going to bring the drinks. Uh, but we just need to know our numbers. We need to know how much and things like that. And so, um, again, we only have a few people that have signed up. If you could sign up for that, if you forget and you do show up, you should be okay. We just might make you eat last or something like that. But uh, uh, you can do, But signing up helps us to know what our numbers are. So 4th of July kind of lets us know we're off campus. So, again, a reminder, don't show up here on the 4th of July. Uh, and then also we have a short connection group. We're going to do a little summer group thing. Your two options are we're going to have a, a chosen discussion group where we're going to watch the chosen, watch an episode, and it's family friendly. You can bring your kids. We want to do something where it's kind of multi-generational and we're still going to do little small group discussions. It'll be about an hour and a half. And so you can sign up for that. And then also we're offering a healthy families. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of a discussion group. It's something I've done at other churches before, but it's preparing us as far as a solid marriage uh, in order to kind of lead into um, prioritizing as far as how we're raising our kids at different stages from early toddler up and through the teenage, up and through adulthood. So it's a really cool five-week um, kind of, it's not really a course, I'm not lecturing, but it's really a discussion group. And so um, you got that as an option too. So start signing up uh, so we kind of know who's going where and what's going on with that. We'd appreciate that. Does that sound good? Now, if you grew up in church, Saul kind of gets a bad rap. Like when we talk about the kings, he's, he's the first king, right? And when you actually look at his sins compared to like David, I'm like, David's a worse dude, if I'm honest, right? It's like, at least Saul's got to stand before God be like, are you serious? Like, look at this dude, you know? And, um, but again, God sees things deeper than our behaviors. And sometimes you can have someone that doesn't have the worst behaviors, but their heart is actually worse than someone with really bad behaviors. And God sees the heart we don't. That's a whole nother sermon, but a little, just a bit of an insight there. Um, because we see things on the outside and God sees things on the inside. Now, here's the thing about Saul. He actually started off well. And I encourage you, as every, anytime I preach, please read the passages. You're going to get way more insight. I'm going to give you a little. The Holy Spirit will give you a lot. I'm mainly going to be in first. Um, he, uh, Saul comes in around 1 Samuel 9, 10. And then you can read about him all through 2 Samuel. But the, especially the first five, six, seven chapters are really fascinating. You see his transformation in those first few chapters. But I believe God's going to give you a lot of insight as far as watching this guy that, uh, again, he's uh, in good. The First Samuel 9 says he was a person of good standing and reputation. So he was someone that seems to be that people respected the way he was as, a, um, as an Israelite, as a Jewish man, uh, the way he did his faith and things like that. Um, we see in First Samuel 9 that uh, as that society would do. They were out and about with different animals and things like that. They lost their donkeys. That's a big deal. That's money. Uh, that's horsepower. That's all kinds of things. And so what was interesting is even in the little things in life, they said, let's go find a seer or a godly man that he would pray for us. And maybe God would give us insight of where our donkey would be. I mean, that's like losing your keys and then just being like, wait, as a family, let's pray that God would give us insight where the keys are. How many of us do that? Probably not too many because we think God's not concerned about my keys, right? And so we're running around and then we get a little angry and then we're saying things we shouldn't say. Oh, we're doing that. But Saul, I mean, you lose a donkey. Oh, let's pray. My first thought, that shows that he's got, he's doing pretty well there. And so we see then in 1 Samuel 10 that uh, God filled him with his spirit and he began to prophesy. It's a good start. I don't know if you've noticed, good starts don't always mean good finishes. And I want to encourage you with this today. God cares about 
how you finish the race, not how your race is started. God cares about how you finish. That's the most important thing. So many of us, we see someone with a great start and we think, oh, they're going to kill it, right? Have you noticed that in sports? They got so much potential. Have you ever their potential? can't tell you in my years in sports how many kids had potential, but they couldn't finish it off, right? And so they quit or they faded off or they got distracted. And so we can do that in church too. Oh, look at them. They're on fire. They got, they're starting. No, it's, it's we, we got to focus on getting that finish line. And so he had a great, he had a great finish. I mean, we even see his character more. Notice in 1 Samuel 11 that there's a group of people that mocked Saul uh, because he was going to be king and uh, that he actually showed them uh, grace. And it says that um, uh, when Saul kind of had his first victory to kind of prove he was king, uh, he actually had the right to, to sentence them to death. Just so you know, back then, like, Today, we mock all kinds of leaders and make fun of them. It's no big deal. Back then, you mock the king, like just verbalize it. Someone shares that with someone in the king's court. They'll drag you out and kill you. Like that's a pretty high level. So you got to watch who you mock. They're mocking this dude. Well, he gets his first military victory. And it's like, uh-oh. So what do kings do? Even good kings, you're dead. And it says in 1 Samuel eleven fourteen. but Paul said, no one will be put to death today for this day is the day the Lord has rescued Israel. Notice, he didn't care that he's being mocked. He said, this is a day where we're going to glorify God. A great start. Anointed by God, favor with people. Now, it's downhill from there. <laughs> and it's unfortunate. But I think we can learn some things. Again, we're looking back at people, some that had a strong faith, strong, just as strong as any of your faith. Why did he end so poorly? I, again, you guys, it, it goes to where you're going to read, if you read this book, he was willing to kill his son, and then he was trying to kill David, the next king. That's a long way to go to prophesying, oh, I lost my donkey, let's pray, to I want to murder my own son, and I'm going to murder this young man too, throwing spears at him. Like, and have you seen people like that? I mean, or have you noticed in your own life where it's like, man, my heart was so tender towards God at this period. Why am I so angry now? Why am I so bitter now? Why am I so short-tempered? I wasn't that way. Something happened. I, I, I kind of just want to look at that today. And maybe the rest of this week, the Holy Spirit will continue to, to um, give you insight, to strengthen you so that you finish well. I'm just, you know, as a pastor, more concerned about how you end this life than where you're at right now. I want to get you to the finish line. That's the most important thing. And so this life will naturally try to distract you from the finish line and get you to quit the race. Just so you know, that is the norm in Christianity. Even I see it in my own friends, people that I've been in ministry with and I find out they're not following the Lord anymore. And so it can distract our own faith. It can distract our own confidence. It's like, hey, what do, what, what do I believe in? Is it real? Is it right? Like it can do a lot of things. And I want to strengthen us today as we look at Saul and kind of what happened to him. And this, this, this what I would call kind of two phases. One is a slow drift from God and one's a rapid descent from God. We have two ways we can kind of rebel or run from God or rebel from God. One is we can walk away or wander and some of us just run away because maybe of a certain situation and we want nothing to do with them. So we're going to jump into 1 Samuel 13 where we see this begin. He's starting off well and it says in verse 7, we're going to pick up 
where it says that Saul remained in Gilgag, Gilgal, uh, and all the troops were uh, with him were quaking with fear. And so the reason Saul became king is because God's desire, remember at this time, that they inhabited a land that was the promised land, but they needed to conquer it. And so the king's job was to begin to conquer this land for the people of Israel. That was their assignment, okay? And so Saul was to lead them in this way. It says in verse 8 that he waited seven days for the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Now, what Samuel wanted him to do is, I want you to go and I want you to wait before you go into battle. Sometimes trusting God is an active thing, and sometimes trusting God is a passive thing. Have you noticed that in life? Sometimes God's calling you to trust him to go, and sometimes he's saying, wait. Slow down. Slow down in relationships. Slow down in activity and wait on the Lord, and that's a part of faith too, and we can struggle with that. And so um, we know that in 1 Samuel 10, 8, again, if you read this whole passage a couple chapters before, that um, Samuel told him that I will surely come to you and that Samuel was to do the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings was to prepare this nation for victory, but you must wait seven days um, till I come to you and tell you what to do. So he wanted him to wait. Samuel was going to come, do the sacrifices, and then tell him exactly what he was supposed to do in battle. That was the plan, okay? Trust the process. Trust God. This is what we're doing. He waits seven days, but Samuel did not come. And it says that, and Saul's men, uh, men began to scatter, so he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Let me ask you something. Was that his job to do? No, that's not what he was asked to do. He's asked to wait. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he had finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel said to him, what have you done? Look at Saul's response. When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. You notice that when he was doing well, he wasn't assuming things about God or situations. He was just going straight to God, just trusting what he said, trusting what he's done. I'm going to take his word for it. We begin to wander from God when we assume what's going to happen in the future. Because if I assume, then I'm going to begin to take control because I can't see how God's going to help me. Have you been in those situations? I can't see the miracle that God's going to do. So I'm going to assume the Philistines are going to attack. I'm going to assume that these things are going to happen. So now I'm going to take, my men are scattering, which is if you're in battle, it's a bad thing. But rather than staying the course, it looks bad for me I don't see God working. Have you ever been there? It looks bad for me. I don't see God working. It's time to take control and to stop trusting him. You could even say, I'm going to assist God because maybe he's busy, he's asleep or whatever, but maybe I'm in a position because I've been following God for a while. I've been doing ministry for a while. I've read my Bible. I tithe. I go to church. I know all the Bible stories. I got this one, God. You sit on the sideline. I'm going to help you out. God's like, I, I didn't ask you to help me out. That's when things usually go bad. And so he didn't see it as a big deal. When we begin to wander from God, we see not listening to him as not a big deal, right? Certain parts of the Bible where it's like, well, that was just in those times there. It doesn't apply anymore. That's not a big deal. 
And so he kind of dismissed what God wanted him to do. And so notice the words here. It says, I thought now, verse 12, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. Look at these words here. So I felt compelled. Circle or underline that word. I felt compelled. I begin to wander from God when my desires trump his commands. I felt compelled. I, this is what I wanted to do. This was just my desire. So I just went with it. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. This was the beginning for Samuel. And what's interesting is it's a slow thing when it comes to sometimes us being on fire for God and then all of a sudden years later we're rebelling against him. It can be a slow thing. Sometimes it can be quick, but it can be a slow thing. And where we begin to compromise are these little things where my desires begin to be in contrast with his commands or my fear begins to outweigh my faith. My fear of the future, my fear of not God doing the miracle. And so I begin to take control. I still believe in him, but just this little area, I'm going to take back control because God's not doing enough. So there's some signs here where he began to live by fear and not faith. He began to live by what he can see rather than who God is. That's why the Bible says that we live by faith, not by what? Sight. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe we should go over that verse, right? I live by faith, not by sight. But here's our problem. This is why a lot of us can wander easily is this. Don't most of us live by sight, not by faith? I don't see how God can do that. How can he provide financially? How he, can he provide a godly spouse? How can he provide for the college education? How can he do this miracle here? How, and so we don't see it. We do that with people, right? If someone looks kind of safe and nice, we assume they're a good person. That's why we're always flabbergasted when like the news breaks some evil thing and the dude looks like our next door neighbor. I'm always blown away by that. Like if you're good looking, it's like, oh, you don't do any evil. It's like, oh, he was such a nice guy. <laughs> like evil people are just always cranky, you know, and just telling you like, I'm going to kill someone tomorrow. You know, it's like, oh, I knew he was evil. He told me. You know what I mean? But why? Because we live by sight. And if someone looks a little greasy, messy, not, you know, you just, yeah, they're probably a little sketchy in it. You know, we have these assumptions. Years ago, not so much anymore, but we know that like those are older with tattoos. Now tattoos are like, you know, rebellious people almost don't have tattoos. Where back in the day, it was like rebellious people got tattoos. Now, if you don't get one, it's like you're a rebel, you know, no tattoos. But back in the day, and churches would judge. Boy, if you had a neck tattoo, you would see the whole church, like the Red Sea split, right? No one would sit near them. It's just like, oh my God, what do we do? You know, it's just assuming this, they're going to hell. They have a neck tattoo, right? It's in the Bible somewhere. We don't know where, but as they're singing Amazing Grace at church, right? Just judging well, because we naturally do that if we're honest with ourselves. Just so you know, the more you live by what you see thinking, then I know what's going to happen in life, that's where you'll easily wander from God. Even if you're going to church and even if you're singing the songs. Because that fear of what you see, you won't see God anymore rather than saying, no matter what I see, it's who I know. And if he says, do this, and it's going to work out, I'm going to do it. And if he says, trust me here, I'm going to bless you. Even when my friends say, there's no way you're going to be blessed. This is stupid. I'm going to do it. 
So when I don't have money and God says, be generous, still give to people even poorer than you or give what a little you have, but I don't have anything. I will bless you. Trust me. And people will say, heck no, you shouldn't do that. You got to become more greedy in order to be able to succeed. And the Bible says you actually become more generous in order to succeed. So whether it's finances, relationships, all these things, have you noticed that our fear can cause us to slowly drift from God because we can't see where he can do the miracle. I also want us to know, notice with Samuel, this drift of this, listening to God becomes optional rather than a necessity. Listening to God becomes optional rather than a necessity. We begin to wander from God when I only seek him when it's a 911. It's an emergency. Or it's one of those things of like, it's not really a necessity in my life. It's just when it's convenient to really listen to the word of God or listen to godly counsel rather than it's a necessity. When I make decisions, I'm going to seek godly counsel before I make that decision. I'm going to seek the word of God before I make decisions. So one of the ways we can wander, if you'll notice, is big decisions in life or little decisions in life. You begin to see it just as an optional thing or you only listen to people that you want to hear what they want to tell you rather than what you need to know. So that can be a telltale sign of I'm beginning to wander from God is I'm beginning to not want to hear godly counsel, right? He didn't want to listen to Samuel and it's an optional thing, but I'm going to probably do what I want to do. That's a little sign we're starting to wander, that slow drift. Well, he went from there and went way more into a rapid descent, which that usually happens. If we don't catch that and we don't repent, like, oh, my heart's wandering. I'm noticing that I really don't want to hear God a lot just when it's convenient or if I need a little bit of comfort, like that verse of the day to make me feel good or if things are going bad. But it's not this waking up like I need to hear the word of God. I need godly counsel. That can be a little bit of a sign of like, oh, the heart, you can begin to wander. And when I don't take care of that and stop it, we can move into that walking from God to running from God because our hearts, as uh, Romans 1 says, God hands us over to our rebellion and our hearts become hardened. So when I don't repent, God says, okay, I'll give you over to your rebellion and your heart becomes more hard and your mind becomes darker and the rebellion grows greater. It's a slow process. Well, let's move on. And we see that in 1 Samuel 15, a few chapters later, it gets even worse. We're going to start in verse 7. He's in another battle, the Amalekites. And it says that uh, then Saul attacked the Amalekites in verse 7, Samuel chapter 15, all the way from um, Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people, and he totally destroyed uh, with the sword. But in verse 9, Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Well, here's where this is a big deal, and you're going to see this interaction with Samuel. Before they went to battle, and this is hard to read for some of us when we read the Old Testament, but God said, I need you to kill everything and everybody. We're talking babies to kids, to adults, to animals. No doubt, I've talked to people, especially when I was a youth pastor, and I'd We'd preach on everything. And we'd have people be like, I don't know if I can follow God reading that. I understand. It's brutal to see and the reality of that. There's reasons for it, which I'm not going to get into, but that's a hard thing for us to see. But God asked him saying, because their sin is so great, 
What God also knew is when you don't kill the younger generation, they grow up and they're the ones that kill you. That's how it worked back then. So there's all these reasons why, but still it's difficult, but it's like you have to wipe out and then all the animals. So is this clear word? This is what you're to do so you, so you can succeed. And just so you know, this is the beginning of when Israel wouldn't do it and they would continue that. And that was their downfall because these other nations, these young people would grow up and they would go after them for killing their forefathers. So it was this rebellion led to so much pain and hurt. But it starts here with Saul. And so they didn't do what God clearly asked them to do for their own benefit. So in verse 17, Samuel said to him, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Look at his response. Verse 20, but I did obey the Lord. We really move towards a dangerous state when what God calls good, we call bad, and what God calls bad, we call good. That's when you know your rebellion is really starting to culminate. When it's clear the word of God says this is evil, and you say, no, it's not, that's good. He clearly disobeyed God, and he goes, no, I didn't, I obeyed God. He said, kill everybody. Uh-huh, I obeyed it. But you didn't. Uh-huh, I obeyed it. You're now in a really darkened space. What's interesting about that is no longer is he struggling to listen to God, which is an option. Here's where rebellion moves to the next level. Once I begin to uh, view listening to God as an option, then obeying God becomes an option. That's the danger of not listening to God and being desperate to hear God. Because when you're not... When you're living with that and God's kind of an option with listening to him, you don't notice yourself really having a hardened heart. You're like, I'm still a pretty good person. I'm still doing pretty well. I'm still like, I can worship him. Like I'm, you know, I have these other areas I will be, you know. But the problem is once that becomes an option, we slowly drift into also now obeying God in certain areas becomes an option. Have you seen that in your own life or you talk to people? Well, I believe this, this, this about the Bible, but these two parts, no, that's ancient. That doesn't apply anymore. Oh, why? <laughs> We're just picking and choosing. <laughs> then I'll just pick and choose to say that I know God said to turn the other cheek, but I'm going to punch you in the face. Because I think that, that, that that's just, turning the cheek applies to the Old Testament, or the, but not anymore. Now God would prefer that I slap you back. Like we're literally just picking and choosing, right? Well, why? Well, that because once listening is an option, I don't need to go to church. Ah, opening the Bible is kind of boring. Connection groups, listening to other Christians, blah, blah, blah. Did that back in the 80s. I'm good. Like, this is where we can go. And what I see in my life and others' lives is once we listening is an option, right? Godly counsel is given. Eh, maybe. I know what's coming next. It's a matter of months or years. And all of a sudden, obeying God becomes an option. We see this. This is what Saul teaches us. This guy, and, and what Samuel's saying is, dude, you had everything. God was blessing you. I've seen that in my life and others' lives. God blesses them so much. He's doing miracles, right? And then the heart and the mind just slowly wander. So in verse 20 says, but I did obey the Lord. He says, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Malachites. 
brought back their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God. Look at in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. Who's God? To the Lord, your God. He didn't say the Lord, my God. Are you seeing this heart shift here? This guy that was, if I lost a donkey, let's go seek a godly person and pray. We got to find that donkey. Like God helps me find donkeys to now, hey, I did all this for your God. Oh, I wonder if that was a little bit of a slip where he was seeing, it's like, wow, you used to worship me and now it's only for other people. The arrogance, the hardened heart, the darkened mind, boy, it happens. I think Samuel's reply was one where he said it in a very sad, quiet voice. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? Does God like religious services or rather just you obey him throughout the week? To obey is better than sacrifice. You guys have heard that verse before. This is where it comes from. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. He's saying when you become rebellious to listening to God and obeying God, that's just like being, um, you know, someone who, who conjures up evil spirits. It's the same level, which is incredible. He says, in arrogance like the evil of idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Obeying became optional, not a necessity. And he wasn't the Lord my God, it was the Lord your God. Boy, you see this over two chapters, how easily this can happen. We also see that he thought his opinion of how he should do war was more valid than God's command of how to do war. My opinion on how to do relationships, my opinion on how to do money, my opinion when I get fully rebellious, I view my opinion as equal with God's commands. And so what I do is I debate God rather than submit to him. Well, that's an interesting insight I just read in the Bible, but my opinion is this, and I think this. In my 48 years of experience, even though God has a billion years, I think this, and that doesn't make sense. And so what happens is my opinions become equal with the word of God so that they can debate each other, and I try to figure out what's better, my opinion or God's. And that's really kind of the full bloom Avoiding this drift and descent that can happen to all of us. A couple questions or a few questions maybe write down or think about this week. One is this, and this is the things that I've noticed through ministry and you notice in the word of God. Questions that kind of help us be honest with ourselves. One is, do I read and listen to God's word with the intent to implement? Do I read the Bible with the intent to implement or just to kind of check it off as something religious to do? I can't tell you the amount of people I've known that they know the word of God. They read the word of God every day, but they're the same people that they've been the last 20 years because they think the whole goal is to read the Bible, not to actually live it out. I've said this before. I, I hope you read a bunch of the Bible, but if you want to be a godly person and experience really his blessings and experience being used by him, it's going to be better to read one verse in a month, apply it, than to read the whole Bible that month and not remember anything. God's word is meant to transform us, not to inform us. That's the biggie. 
And that helps us to avoid drifting and descending away from God. The second one is this that we see from his life is, do I receptively allow godly advice to impact my decisions? In our lives, if we don't have a forum of people that we view as respected, godly people that I submit to them, and I'm not saying that they tell you everything to do in life, but you go to them and their, their opinions really weigh something. Rather than debating them, it's like, let me, let me take this insight. When we move towards rebellion, we usually push those people out because I don't want to hear the voice of wisdom. I just want to hear what I want to hear. Do I receptively allow godly advice to impact my decisions, even when it's difficult? He didn't listen to Samuel, and that was the beginning of Saul's downfall. Here's the other one is, do I compromise my faith to appease others' desires? Do I compromise my faith to appease others' desires? One of the things you're going to read, we didn't really uh, get into the verse we didn't have time is, Samuel constantly made these decisions because he was fearful of what other people would think of him or fearful of uh, what would happen with other people. He let other people dictate how he lived rather than what, how God wanted him to live. Do I allow other people because I fear them or because I want, them to, I want their influence or I want them to like me that they take precedence over maybe how God wants me to behave, act, and prioritize? That can cause drift. That can cause a descent. Another question to avoid drift and descent is, do I regret sin or do I seek to turn from it? Because those are two different responses. Do I regret sin or do I turn from it? What I find is many of us, we feel bad about our sin, but we still don't want to turn from it. And what the Bible is going to say over and over is repentance is where you get freedom, not feeling sad. Being diligent to say, I want to do whatever it is to get rid of this pride, this anger, whatever I can do to get rid of whatever's going on that's keeping me from God rather than I'm talking about it and I feel bad about it, but I just don't have the energy or the desire to do anything about it. So learning to live a life of turning from sin rather than just regretting it helps us to avoid drift and descent away from God. And then the other one that we see here too, another question is, do I evaluate my faith based off obedience or my feelings? Do I evaluate my faith based off obedience or my feelings? Many times I'll ask someone, you know, how are you doing with God? Ah, it feels good. feels all right. We kind of go just off kind of how we're feeling, right? If you were to ask Saul, how are you doing with God? Pretty good. I just did a battle and I obeyed him. Well, you actually didn't obey him. You did what he did not want you to do. I know, but I feel close to God. I did a really good offering. It was a beautiful offering. A lot of smoke, a lot of fire. Great worship was amazing. I got the chills. I must be close to God if I get the chills. A lot of us kind of live our faith that way. We wake up, it's like, oh, I kind of feel good. You can feel incredible and be very far from God. Why? Because what God says is when you're obedient is when you're close. Which goes back to, again, am I listening as a necessity to God or is it just an option? And am I obeying as an option or is it as a necessity? Because that's what draws me close to God. Feelings follow obedience. Obedience does not always follow feelings. So you just want to be careful of that trap. When Christine and I first got married, it was probably one of the times for me that I was most on fire for God. Um, I remember there's a suicide hotline I was a part of. I just wanted to help teenagers. I'd get calls in the middle of the night, you know. Um, church was going well. 
Um, I felt like I was loving Christine well as far as being attentive, and just growing as a husband. Financially, we were generous. Um, there was teenagers sometimes. They were in bad home situations. We only had an apartment at the time. Boom, doesn't matter. We'll, we'll, we'll sleep out here. You can sleep there. Like we were just, just this sense of I just want to do so much for God. And don't you love those seasons? I, I just, I look back, so much joy. I remember one night I couldn't sleep. And for some reason, it just broke my heart. The sin in our city broke my heart. This is where we lived near Vista Oceanside. And I'd walk the streets, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, praying, just walking across the streets, praying. It was just this time where I was being compelled. There was no one telling me to do it. I wasn't reading books. I was just compelled to see God's kingdom move. You would look at me at that time and think, that dude is on fire. That fire will never be quenched. He'll always be that. And I thought, I'm always going to do this. Whenever I can't sleep, I'm going to walk the streets. Whenever someone needs an open room, the door's open. You just think it's always going to be that way. Good starts don't always mean good finishes. Life happens, right? And we got to guard our hearts. We got to ask ourselves these questions because things can easily distract us. Uh, I left a church at that point to help uh, a friend start a church up here. But in the midst of that, there's some bitterness with other Christians. But I justified it. Have you ever justified things? I justified my bitterness because I'm righteous and they're not. And their sin's way worse than all my other sins. And so I had this little seed of bitterness. The problem with bitterness is it can grow if we don't really repent from it. Then we began to make bad financial decisions. We actually foreclosed, lost a house, but we got into a house that we shouldn't have even gotten into. It's way beyond our means, but it's back in the early 2000s. We were excited like everybody else and God will provide. You can put those Christian things around it. We didn't obey scripture that says to live below your means. We got caught up in the hype of this world. And so even within doing ministry, these little things began. We have a home that we can't afford. And then I had some bitterness. And then what do you do, right? It's what Saul did, what we do. Rather than taking ownership of our sin, I'll blame my wife. Why did she get us in this house? And did I communicate with her? No, because that's what good leaders do. They don't communicate with their wives. They keep it to themselves, right? Oh, wait, no, that's called bad leadership. So I kept this all inside. And if that would have stopped there, maybe I could have repented easily. Maybe I wouldn't have gone this far. I was still doing ministry. I was still preaching. I was still counseling other people. But then we went through one miscarriage, two miscarriages, three miscarriages, buried one of our little girls. So the expectations of a growing family, we like, I don't know if you know us very well, but we like to be loud and we like a loud home. And so we, we expected more kids and things like that. And then disappointment and heartbreak. And then I couldn't see God doing miracles. And then the debt began to mount and I couldn't see God getting us out of that debt. I couldn't see him providing us with more kids. I couldn't see these things. We were in a bad spot and uh, I went to Pacheng a few times and actually made pretty good money. So I thought, I'm sure God's leading me as an extra job to start going to Pachanga. I know I'm saying this out loud and you're like, Brian, is this a made up story? Are you going to tell us like, surprise, happy Father's Day, you know, it didn't happen. No. Okay, I can go gamble. I can, I can go play poker and make, make some money. And I did for a couple months. We paid rent with what I made. And all it took was one night to wipe all that away. In the midst of that, I told the pastor that I planted the church with what I was doing. He's like, don't, he goes, I can't tell you black and white, but I, I, no, it doesn't feel, what do rebels do? I'm not listening to godly advice. I don't see God paying my rent. I don't see how he can provide. 
And then I began to stop reading God's word. I was preaching, in my opinion, some of the best sermons. Maybe others didn't agree. But I was preaching. I was throwing it down. And I wasn't even reading the Bible throughout the week. I didn't need to. So no wonder then, when my heart was so tormented, that I told Steve, I'm quitting. And I quit ministry. But I wasn't just quitting ministry. I was quitting on God. How far you can fall from walking the streets at night, helping people on a suicide hotline, loving your wife, loving people that are orphaned, doing whatever you can to not talking to your wife about anything now. Being bitter, quitting ministry, not caring about others. When people wanted to counsel, I'd say, no, I could care less about their problems. Care less, deal with it. That was my heart. How does that happen? Because the drift and the descent can happen. We're not asking ourselves these questions. It happens to anybody. But by God's grace, have you experienced God's grace, you guys? Have there been rebels that experienced God's grace? I'm listening to Metallica. I've told this story before, which is a you know great worship thing to do. I'm listening to Metallica. In my anger, my wife's sitting in a chair by the bed. I don't want to hear her. Let me put this on. Let me get into my angry mode. And the Holy Spirit, literally, I cannot stop crying while I'm listening to Metallica. I'm like, what is going on here? I take off my headphones. I look over to my wife and she looks at me saying, what's going on? Because I'm crying. She's like, what's going on with you? Listening to Metallica crying? Like, is it that good of a song? And this is what I said. I think I'm repenting. I didn't even know if I was repenting. I go, I think I'm repenting. God said enough. The Holy Spirit came over me. I read my Bible the whole night. I wrote two worship songs that we would later sing at church. I walk into work the next day, open the doors. There's two secretaries there. I walk in. As soon as they see me, they said, what happened to you? There's a joy. There's something that happened even physically that just changed. And that changed the rest of my life as I began to repent of these things, realize I was far from God, stop playing religion, get back to it, trust them when I can't see them, trust them when I'm fearful, trust them all these things, that his commands now are vital for me, they're not an option. I need the word of God just like I need food. And listening to him and godly people now, it's not just this optional thing. I got my crew around me. And when they say something, I take that warning. I don't blow it off. And it's always arrogance and pride that is the downfall of us all. And that is the culmination of wandering and eventually descending relationship with God. But I want you to know this. Anybody that shows up today and you are far from God and you played a game, we don't know it, but you know it. I don't need to know it. I don't need to forgive you. Jesus already has. And this is what he's, I just want to encourage you. His grace is there. He says in Hebrews 10, as we we wrap up today, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he opened uh, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. 
Any promise God gives you is faithful. He will take care of you. He says, I will guide you. I will comfort you. I will strengthen. I will provide. You don't have to do it on your own. I will overcome all men, all obstacles, all finances. I am your God. I am your king. And if you trust that and you hope in that, not in people and not in yourself, this is what we profess. He is faithful. We are not faithful. He is faithful. And it says from there, this verse says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the day as you see this approaching. When you see people wandering, when you see us rebelling, encourage each other, remind each other of hope, remind each other of God's miracles, remind each other of God's promises and that he is a necessity, he is not an option. Saul had so much potential and he missed it. My prayer is that we would not miss on the potential that God wants to do in you and through you and that he is faithful and he can be trusted. If you're far from today, I encourage you with a sincere heart, just repent, turn. He doesn't want your regret. He wants your obedience and say, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. And at that point, you will see renewal in your life and the wandering you are instantly close with him. That's what communion signifies. And as the worship team comes up, we're just going to sing these songs about his grace, pull into his grace that I hope would fill us up, that we can trust him, bring us close to him, keeping us from any drift or descending away from God. And so communion is over there. I encourage you to take that and to thank God for his grace and his faithfulness when we are unfaithful. And I just want to encourage you the rest of the week just to to read these passages and see what we can learn from Saul, but most of all, what we can learn about God. He never gives up on you no matter where you're at. I just want to encourage you that day. Someone needs to hear that today. When I was preparing the sermon, I felt like there might be a few of us today that we wouldn't know that you're rebelling and we wouldn't know that you're far from God. You've played it well. And what I want you to know is it's not about us though. God knows. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son and you're like, but he can't forgive it. I should have known better. I shouldn't be acting like this. He already knows. He says, I love you. Come back to me and live there. And here's the thing. Let's finish this race well. Maybe it's not going well right now. Let's finish this race well. Jesus, thank you so much that you are faithful when we are unfaithful. And we are all weak. Some of us, I mean, even doing ministry, we can be weak. Some of us have been following you for years and then we have these months or weeks where we're like, what did I just do? What am I thinking? And God, I pray we'd be a church that we just stay humble. We realize that we're fragile people. We get arrogant so easily. We don't listen to wise people. We don't listen to your spirit. We don't listen to your word. Obeying can be difficult and we make excuses and we just bring that before you saying we repent. We just want to rest in you. Life is not on our shoulders. We don't have to fear others. We don't have to stress the battles that are ahead. You are king. You are good. And so we come back to you today. As we take communion, I pray unify us as a church that we commit to encourage one another. When we see someone struggling, we'd encourage them. That we'd be people of hope. That most of all, we'd grow old well together and grow old well with you to finish this race, to stand before you that you say, you know what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Now all that I have is yours. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com. 